Welcome to Meetings with Remarkable Educators. This podcast is brought to you in part by you, our friends and supporters at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators. Each podcast is a dialogue between me, Bob Lovemore, and an educator who sees the greatness in their students and touches the whole of their being. These educators defy generalizations, so here's a little bit about what they've done and how I know them. Hopefully, many of you have listened to the podcast featuring the esteemed holistic Montessori-inspired educator Phil Gang from way back in March 2018. Phil spent many years working in New Zealand. Well, Phil wrote to me the other day with a present. His friend and colleague from New Zealand, Stephen Arnold, was coming to Portland. And did I want to do a podcast with him? Stephen has created the Peace Experiment, one of the most innovative high school opportunities for teenagers in the world. His infectious enthusiasm, his commitment to Montessori ideals without being constrained by formula or history, and his love of adolescence created an atmosphere of delight as we talked together. Stephen Arnold has received many awards and accolades. You can read all about his many achievements in the show notes on our website, www.remarkable-educators.com. For now, enjoy and learn from this remarkable educator. I'm interested to hear about your block, where that block comes from, and when you're talking about the space between the audience and the actors, and you've... Well, if I'm objectifying, for instance, if I'm in a movie theater and mm. I'm looking at some famous actor, yeah, then, and I have transferred my identity to the actor, right? then I'm not seeing, I'm not participating, I'm seeing my objectification right, of the I actor. Yeah. And we have, unfortunately, an objectifying language. You know, I verbs. English particularly. Yeah, English. Yes. Beg your pardon. Yeah. Right, yeah. of yes. course. Yeah. So it's subject, object, verb, uh, yeah. subject, verb. You know what I mean. Yes. So, so what happens is we objectify things, and then we've, we, 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 that's an imposition. Yes. And even if you look, if I may, at child development till now, you look at Piaget or people like that, and they talk about, you know, assimilating to an already existing schema. Yeah. And that is inaccurate. Yeah, that is that is the way that is a top-down adult way of looking at it children. Is, it is because we form the child in the way that they are processing the world and in the way that they are playing with the sand. That is the sandcastle they make, rather than trying to mould it into a pre a template. It's not a template. It's created and it's in real time. Yes, yeah, yes. So yeah, so those are so we face those challenges. But you must be facing those challenges tremendously. I. We have to back up and talk about the peace experiment because yes. I am okay. blown away. Steve. Oh, really? Okay, oh, I am. Cool. I okay. mean, and um, gosh, how, I mean, I, I know of Montessori, of right. course, and I've had so many great interactions with Montessori yeah. and so on. But how did all this come about? You have to give us the background. Thank you. I will. Um, so, yes, I'm a Montessori educator, and this is the third Montessori secondary program that I've created. I've created the first one in New Zealand about 15 years ago, Athena Montessori College. Then I went to Brisbane in Australia, and I added a Montessori high school on top of an existing and I've done my showing off now. I can do it. I don't, I'm not, I've got nothing to prove to anybody anymore. So the third one, Peace Experiment, is my current incarnation. 
And it gives me an opportunity to break all the rules because I'm 50 now. Well, you're allowed to do that when you're 50. <laughs> well, you're just a young man to me, Stephen, <laughs> that's for sure. So the idea is um, I'm very careful to obey the big rules, but by obeying the big rules means I can break all the little ones. And I'm, I'm good. I'm playing within the sandpit, within the um, walls of the sandpit. But if you could offer teenagers, let's say that's my interest, 11 to 18-year-olds, an opportunity to be themselves in a very real way without the pressures of trying to conform and without the uh, disaster, which is holiday, i.e. no structure around them, what would that look like? And this is what Peace Experiment's trying to address. So why I say a disaster of a holiday? Because it's transient, it's um, usually expensive, it's really boring because there is no purpose to it. Um, and a holiday is only great because it's between a work period and another work period. Otherwise, it's unemployment and it's awful. So um, for teenagers, they, they, they want to find a, a way that they can feel safe in the world. All right. Then I looked at curriculum and I thought, well, there's almost nothing of worth in the curriculum unless it is of worth to the student. So how can I sift through this? And that's what we see, especially in America, I'm sure, and other places. The kids, they well, the kids, they just can't even relate. They just go, oh, this is so boring, and I'm here yes. to be with my friends. And yeah. So if you take away the whipping stick of... Um, the curriculum, and um, you take it away and say, the curriculum is just used as a bribe for behavior. It's, it's um, learning management, and it's just awful. If you don't need to have outcomes, then what does education look like? Education totally changes, and it becomes actually relevant. So in the time I've been on this planet, the population has doubled. And those in the gracing the 70s, the population has near on tripled. So how do we know what's important? How? I mean, I'm not anti-curriculum. I love learning. I love finding out things. But kids don't come to school to learn. They're not really interested in learning. They, it's quite a bonus if they do. They're not opposed to it. But they don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I wonder what I'll learn today. It just isn't part of their psyche. It's how will I get through today or who will I meet or what can I do? And in fact, that just informs a little bit more about what learning is our brain seeks novelty, yes, but actually in terms of self-creation and understanding the universe, our brain seeks affirmation of self. So you don't listen to somebody you disagree with. You like people who say the same things that you already think. And so they're not really discovering and there's not really new learning. It's just like, ah, oh, I think that too. <gasps> I'm safe. And this is a much more powerful way of looking at human development, in my view, than rushing around trying to collect all the sparkly, shiny things which lose their value as soon as you've reached them. So learning, traditionally in education contexts, is often seen as an economic model. If you work hard, you get a good job. Oh, in America, it's right out front. Our goal in ed public education is to create citizens who can compete in the global economy. Right. It's, it's named that way. It's appalling. So this is why LEARN, L-E-A-R-N, is really hiding EARN, E-A-R-N, in there. <laughs> And I just think the learn idea is a very sad connection. And I wonder what happens when we change the L to a Y, Y-E-A-R-N, and offer something that is just beyond the reach. This is what yearning is about. It, it's there, it's visible, but it, it's beyond the, the immediate 
um, ability of the person. So, Excuse me a second, but I just have to, it's just too bad, all you listeners, that you can't see the grinning between Stephen and myself and his wonderful reaching for yearning. It's just, it, the energy is just beautiful. And so then the third word that we have to look at, once we've looked at learning and yearning, is to really look at teach. And teach is a silly verb, and I think it's spelt wrong. I think it needs to be <laughs> T-apostrophe-E-A-C-H, to each. This makes much more sense. I give teach what they need, rather than um, I have a stack of nuts or I have a whole lot of information which I can summer through magical process, transmit knowledge. I don't believe in that process at all. So to go back to peace experiment, there is no curriculum. There is no set of ideas that I am going to impart to them except everything and anything they want to learn. So I can teach 14 different subjects at school-based level. So if they ask me an economics question, a maths question, a chemistry question, a Shakespeare question, whichever, I'm able to respond. And if I can't, I'll get something in that can. There's no timetable. We don't start at any particular time in the morning and we don't end at the end of the day. Technically, I open the door at eight and I lock it at five. But sometimes even that's a bit fluid. <laughs> They're allowed to come whenever they want to. For some kids, nine o'clock is not a sensible time. Adolescents don't do early. Yes, they don't do it well at all, do they? No. So why would you want kids to arrive at their place of safety already worried and harrowed? So just by taking out the timetable and throwing it away... We've given kids back an ability to listen to their bodies. When are you when are you ready to come? And you'd think that would be a disaster if they never ever came, but they all are desperate to come. And actually when you have an affirming space, you'd understand that, yeah, this is I want to be I want to be here. Sure, absolutely. And I if I may just for a moment, I love that you're um, speaking directly to the insecurity of the age. There's so much insecurity of the age, yes. and you have to create safety, you have to create respect, yeah. you have to create this a recognition of self Yes, in order for that student to say, oh, wow, this is great, I want to be here. Yeah, and so I'm a bit fuddy-duddy in that I insist on manners, and they always shake my hand as I walk in the door, and <laughs> eye contact, that they don't eat um, hot chips out of a paper bag, they always put them on a plate, that we uh, acknowledge each other formally, and I acknowledge you, and um, we use a lot of affirming sort of language. So I think that the, the structures of a society are really, really important. The glue, the social, when Montessori, we call it the grace and courtesy. We see it a, as a grace and courtesy is a lubrication, of, a grace is a lubrication of physically moving through a space with nobility and courtesy is moving through a social space with nobility. So grace and courtesy is very key to us because in order to feel safe, I need to know that I can't use poor language or I can't speak badly of people, but also that they can't speak poorly of me. And that means now I am safe. So, yes. So, go, so give us some of the, um, uh, how many students are there in the Peace Experiment? Currently, there are 20 students in Peace Experiment. I've, as I say, this is the third time I've set up a high school. We'll get to about 100, and the last few have got to around 100. This seems to be a good community. Actually, for the last 40,000 years, humans have hung in groups of about 70 to 100, and most people have about 70 to 100 um, on their phone speed dials that they would call friends. So that's about the size of a community. And, and, we, and how, where's the funding come from? 
my wife and I have put this up. This is a trust, if you like. Um, interesting to think about funding. It, it exists because we know it has to, and then all else comes from there. So there is no external funding. Well, as a person who's put up his own money any number of times yes, to, you'll to know. bring this forward, I, I d- deeply appreciate that. So the school itself costs 8000 New Zealand dollars, which is about 4000 American, somewhere around there, maybe 5000 Um So it's not an expensive model at all. No, not per, at all. That's per annum. So um, schools near us might be four or five times that. Um, so we're deliberately um, as accessible as possible. And even that being said, if kids say, I want to come, but I can't afford it, I just say, walk through the door. It's okay. So the funding model is there, all schools in New Zealand. So there's a New Zealand school in Auckland. Um, all schools get a little bit of money from the government once you've become registered, and, and we are registered, and we're accepted by the government. Do you have to meet any uh, qualifications from the government? Three things. You need suitable premises, which our premises are suitable. We have enough toilets, and there's enough air and fire ex- exits and so on. Uh, suitable staffing. Um, I've actually been a teacher educator at university, so I sort of tick all of those boxes. And, and my other staff coming on are registered teachers, which is a requirement in New Zealand. And you need a suitable curriculum. A curriculum is just a set of ideas. So I've just used the New Zealand curriculum. People get muddled a little bit between five concepts. It's just worth just thinking about those. Curriculum is what we teach. A syllabus is when we teach it. Pedagogy is why we teach it. A delivery is how we teach it, and assessment is how we take photos. So all that we're doing, um, we have a Montessori pedagogy, but the set of ideas, we can use any curriculum we want to. It doesn't really matter. And so it's just easiest to use the New Zealand curriculum. So a state curriculum, I'm not worried about when a child wants to learn anything. They can enter um, the formal qualification process at any point if they choose to. But really interesting, if you give students the opportunity, would you want to do this or not? They choose not, mostly. They see right through the whole qualifications, blackmail process. But if somebody, oh, what about jobs? In New Zealand, we also have another way of approaching. If you wanted to get to university after high school, you can get in when you're 20 anyway. You don't have to have any qualifications, so you just go well, straight in. That's nice. That's part of the New Zealand uh, system of education? Yeah, that's standard for everybody. Well, also, if you left school and you suddenly decided to be a sound engineer but didn't have the required bits and pieces, there are so many bridging courses that all just you pay to get whichever court classes you need to get you there. So... I'm a little bit opposed to uh, creating a 15-year institution called school that pummels out people in case they want to go to university, which in New Zealand only a quarter of them do, and even then they only go because they're sort of socially tuned that that's what happens after school rather than passionate and desperate to learn. (laughs) Many people, even after a three- or four-year degree, still have no clue who they are. Well, well, the the pedagogies are about subjects. You're not integrated as a whole person with your learning. You're, you know, it's that bad. It's the learning and the earning. It's not the yearning. And when the yearning is actualized, then it becomes part of who I am. Precisely. Yes. And then, then it's I can either go or not go if it's going to fulfill more of my yearning. 
it's interesting to use the word integrative, and we kind of use it as a shorthand, but there's a fallacy in the word integrated, in that you must dis disintegrate first in order to integrate. You have to take the whole world experience and cut it up into maths, into science, into grade three, into grade eight, in order to put it into little bits. And then people think they're marvelously uh, insightful when they say, oh, we're integrated, we put it back together. It is a bit of a buzzword, and obviously I work for TIES, TIES, the Institute of Education Studies talks about integrative learning, but really holistic is a much safer word, but it just gives a few spiritual kicks that some people find a little bit tricky. There's a few barbs in there. Maths is just looking at the world through one set of glasses. The same world can be looked through art glasses or sound engineering glasses or human development glasses. It's the same world. And a concept I have is an idea of a... A graph, a 1 over x graph, so this is a hyperbola, and you can't see this, but I'm, I'm sort of drawing a 1 over x. The more that we go into ourselves, the more that we go out into the world, and the more we go out into the world, the more we understand ourselves. So these are the basic constructs of setting up an education system. You mentioned your wife, and yes. is she part of this whole education? We met approach? at Teachers College. Actually, we met on the stage at Teachers College. So she's a dancer and she's a community worker. She works with palliative care. So this is people in the last stages of life. She works with rape crisis victims. She works with people who have had some challenges, and she's just able to walk beside these people at this time so she is totally totally supportive of what we're doing and um and all you know there's some financial challenges the the idea of going to work every day and just pumping love out is very very important my master's thesis is called loving school and the double entendre there is an institution that provides love but also the individuals who enjoy attending. So Loving School has got a, a, a really important aspect for us. And so Malika is, yes, on the board. In fact, she and I are the board, and that <laughs> means that we're free to do whatever. Well, that's, that's, that's great. It's teaching story time. Briefly, teaching stories invite us to see the world with a new perspective, often featuring a wise person, a wise fool, or a trickster animal. They can be humorous and often have many shades of meaning shining throughout the story. I have told teaching stories for the past 40 years, and I love them, and I have to tell you, each time I tell one, I learn much more myself. Today's teaching story is entitled, The Robe. John, an old friend of the wise fool, called one day. The wise fool said, I am delighted to see you after such a long time. I am just about to start on a round of visits, however. Come, walk with me, and we can talk. Lend me a decent robe, said John, because as you see, I am not dressed for visiting. And the wise fool lent him a very fine robe. At the first house, the wise fool presented his friend. This is my old companion John, but the robe he's wearing, that is mine. On their way to the next village, John said, What a stupid thing to say, the robe is mine indeed. Don't do it again. The wise fool promised. 
When they were comfortably seated at the next house, the wise fool said, This is John, an old friend, who's come to visit me. But this robe, the robe is his. As they left, John was just as annoyed as before. Why did you say that? Are you crazy? I only wanted to make amends. Now we are quits. If you don't mind, said John slowly and carefully, we shall not say any more about the robe. The wise fool promised. At the third and final place of call, the wise fool said, May I present my friend John? And the robe? The robe he's wearing? But we mustn't say anything about the robe, must we? Let's have some fun interpreting this teaching story. Become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators and you have access to our detailed comments on how this story applies to education and parenting. Of course, that's just our perspective. The fun comes with community dialogue as the many shades of the teaching story come alive. See you there. I think a big part about Peace Experiment is that we totally encourage failure. We encourage parents to accept failure, and we really promote it. For example, on Friday afternoons, we have a big meeting, and everybody gets together, and we have a big plastic spoon. And then whoever won the spoon last time, last week, gets to host a conversation, and people tell spoon stories. Oh, I was an idiot. I went to, I bought the wrong thing, or I, I spilled ink on my computer, or I flushed my phone down the toilet, or, 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 or. And then at the end, we're laughing. We're almost competing for this, the Spoon Award. So embedding this culture of being friendly with error, um, celebrating failure, laughing at yourself. Teenagers can get very serious about their own um, inadequacies and imperfections sometimes. This becomes a bedrock of our community. And so uh, when things are going wrong, we say, you're going to get the Spoon Award this week. Or, wow, I can see that you're really gearing up for a Spoon Award here. Gives us a language that we are accepting of the perfection of humanity, which means that we're accepting fallo uh, ergo sum, which means to err is to human, uh, is to be human. Err is to human, sure. Yeah, and so this idea that we are, uh, are meant to uh, fall off the edge every now and then, and that trying to stop somebody falling off the edge is uh, counter to the development of a human mind. Well, I know that you're traveling the world, and you've told me you've just come back from Bulgaria. Yes. And I'm interested. So do you talk about, is that what you're doing, talking about the peace experiment as you travel? I use that as an example, but my specific idea there was to look at the adolescents as a group of people who are navigating the world so beautifully. Their individual uh, adolescents see the world as changing, as dynamic, as challenging, as threatening, as difficult. Uh, navigating a new body, navigating new social relationships, independencies, um, looking out and trying to find out where they fit in. Part one. Part two is the human species is going through a time where we are unable to uh, identify where authorities have come from. Uh, our, our ability to make decisions is so different. We can't say, hey, Dad, what did you do in this situation? What is that was received wisdom? Our world is changing and dynamic. So for me, it seems that we have a group of experts in dealing in this space. And I think it will be really useful for us as the wise adults 
to actually stop and listen to say adolescence. I don't know how to do this space very well. I'm sort of stuck in in rhythms and patterns that I've established over decades. You're really good at this. You 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 know how to navigate the space. And so I wanted to say in Bulgaria that we are it's the right thing to listen to adolescents, but not only out of a polite sort of, oh, aren't we lovely people sort of way. We're desperate to hear how the guardians of the planet are forming and so that we can assist them. And I framed all of that in a rather lovely concept, and I think it's just worth sharing just quickly. In the Pacific Islands, they have two ideas of time, and uh, a common Western idea of time is that when we look in front of us, we we indicate the future. This is five years, this is ten years, and indicate forward. And we indicate behind our back as the past, as in a a year ago or, or when I was a child, as if we're walking through time forwards, But we can't see the future, so our eyes are closed, and we're not looking at the past. So it's a very insular sort of time. The Pacific Island concept of tewa is that we walk backwards through time, and that we can see in front of us yesterday, and there is five years ago, and there was when I was born, and this is my origins. These are my origins. And in fact, when you stand up and speak in Māoridom, which is the native language of New Zealand, native culture to New Zealand, you introduce yourself and say, this is my mountain, this is my river, these are my people, and these are the influences on me. Tomorrow, when I go, is behind me. So we walk backwards through time, we can see the patterns that have been established in our life relationships, and we can use that as a wisdom to predict what might happen next. We're engaged with the history so I use this as in Bulgaria as a vehicle to say, actually, let's look back to our own selves as adolescents, our own inner wisdom, and Montessori uses the phrase, follow the child, often interpreted as follow the child in front of you, i.e. the little being that you're to, to take care of. But actually, for me, there's a sense of follow the child the inner being that formed you, that created you. This is all very exciting for me. I can't tell you how many times I've said to educators and parents, go backwards, go backwards. Everybody wants to go forwards, results, consequences, what might happen. Go backwards. Who are you now? How did you come to what you see? How are you organizing yourself in relationship to this moment? Go back, go back. And I I also wanted to say, I wanted to check it out with you because we get a lot of uh, uh, putting uh, teens down, uh, naive and so on. And and the way uh, I've always talked about it myself and Josette is that they're taking enormous responsibility for their life because they're saying, wait a minute, I'm insecure. I don't know what's going on, but I have to develop this sense of self. My, I have an inner yearning, an inner, uh, compul- not compulsion, but an inner yearning is a good mm. term, to go ahead and see how this self works in this world. Yeah. And to me, that is such a touching statement of, I'm going to take responsibility, and I don't quite know how to do it. So we talk about their ideals as ways for them to use and organize and develop their sense of self. Yes. Well, what do you think of that? 
Well, I think that they are developing and and that sense of self is changing. There are some essences that come through, probably not in our lifetime, but through um, generations of um, DNA or cultural expectations or social expectations that come through to shape us as well. The the individual is trying to make sense of the world. The child is in a much better position to do that because they're not blurred. So even if we look at a physics model and we lift an object into the air, at that point the object has a lot of potential energy, even if no actual movement. I It could do anything. As it falls, and I'm imagining falling, the object falling as our progression through life, it actually loses potential. It, it has less and less uh, pathways that it could fall to. And as adults, we, we could be doctors and we could be scuba divers and we could be astronauts, but actually we make life choices and we become less and less uh, able to see ourselves in different, through different lights. So we actually lose potential. I think that what you're saying an interpretation could be that we need to listen to the youth who have that multi-potential. Not that they have a set path to follow, there is a sense of that, but their their range of acceptability is so much more. It's, it's open and it's beautiful. And we've also noticed that this age also is interested in what we might call the shadow. For instance, most of the tickets to horror shows or the purchases mm-hmm. of those type of books and also a lot of their reaction to their culture or their parents or their situation yes. is to look for, uh, I don't want to really call it the dark side, but look for what's not being acknowledged and bringing it forward. And I feel they're really put down for that, but I feel that's part of what you're saying is they're open to this wide sense of who we are. Yeah. Maybe another um, example of that would be, I think that we're living in an anesthetized time, is that we don't have access to feeling. Um, After being in a very loud room, I remember driving home one time and reached to turn on the radio, and the radio was already on, i.e. I was seeking to up my stimulus because I'd been used to a very, very high level of stimulus. And I think that... um, a teenager seeking a horror or seeking a uh, an extreme experience is trying to feel again, trying to get that idea of aesthetics, feel wonder, feel joy, feel sadness. In fact, we know when people are down and sometimes they cut themselves, they just need an intense rush of emotion, any emotion, because it's the flux of emotion changing from one state to the other that we like. It isn't necessarily better to be happy or sad but moving from one to the other gives us the currency to feel feel ourselves we do this in group because we can't see ourselves until we see our impact on others and so whoa i act i've no idea who i am but i can see that you respond to me in this way now i can see who i am so we learn and we develop outside of our beings Well, in our work, we've noticed that the years between 8 and 12 are virtually ignored. There's terrible phrases like tweens, as if these aren't whole people going through their own developmental uh, growth. And and to us, and I feel pretty strongly in this, that there is a lack of understanding how there's a huge emotional development that kicks in by about eight or nine and 
and it's just ignored. Yes, and the stupidity of educators is highlighted by the most fundamental change that will ever occur in a human being is moving from a pre-reproductive state to a post-reproductive state. This is big. This is the idea of puberty, if you like. It's the idea of becoming a contributing member to society. But the physical characteristics are largely ignored. They are not addressed at a public level when we don't embrace it or have cultures of or rituals in modern society that see it as a positive thing. It is a whole lot of negatives, and even relationships themselves become a, a twisted sense of uh, a disempowering process rather than this, wow, I'm a man. This I'm a now, I'm, I'm a part of Homo sapiens. I'm a woman. I have developed an ability to reproduce. The ages 8 to 12 are exactly the time where all of this Ability to reproduce has come through. Now, you ask, you give anybody that potential. If you ask the chair to reproduce, it wouldn't. But then imagine if you said, you do have now the ability to reproduce. What a tremendous shift in understanding self and other that that would be. There is so much to learn from this, these people who, because we're scared of them and they are teen toddlers, they have the same brains of a toddler but the bodies of an adult and they are just wandering around the planet, they create fear in others and so we ignore. And I agree with you and I think it's enormously damaging. Enormously and, and so much about relationship community. Yeah. If, if, if earlier and if in the earlier years and then in the teen years, that sense of place and safety and security, yeah. those years are about relationship, community, uh, um, and and who we are together and yeah. how that works together. Yeah. From an individual point of view, they would just see it in quite basic terms as my body is different and I no one is acknowledging this. Or uh, Yes, sex is of, of interest or not of interest, but it's thrust upon us. There's a different understanding of how my body works and what my body is. It is so profound. No one has graced puberty at the right time or the right amount of this or the wrong amount of that or at the right rate or accepted in the right way and so at a time where I think they are emotionally valued uh, emotionally fragile because of these big significant changes their behavior is sometimes erratic as are adults, but that's actually ignored. <laughs> I don't know why, but <laughs> adolescents are seen as a time where we can't trust them. And I think that what they do need is a really high level of trust. At Peace Experiment, I say, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? That's the trust level we have. I have spent uh, many years um, bringing rites of passage back uh, into our culture to the best of my ability, and I've had the great fortune, good fortune of facilitating mm. many, many rites of passage, and we've had a lot of success. And recently, we've created a rite of passage for kids between 9 and 12 with boys and girls together. And nice. in my pretty extensive study, it's the first co-ed intensive rite of passage that I know of in history, wow. frankly, and I speak to friends from the Native American society, uh, com communities, and so on about this. Yeah. But do you, and, and certainly the coming of age or the rite of passage in the 14-ish mm. year yeah. is probably the most known and celebrated throughout history. 
Do you have any uh, sense of that? I'm a fan of ritual as well. In fact, I'm a marriage celebrant. So that's a, a way of people creating a new life together. Um, and so I, I do enjoy ritual. I think that we have to be careful that the ritual retains its meaning. So it's almost like the ritual can't be just on traditions because the traditions will be empty without the meaning. And so for a group to create themselves a, a meaningful rite of passage that has dignity and is recognized by the adult community. Well, that's part of a rite of passage. A rite of passage isn't just a ritual, isn't only a ritual. A rite of passage has distinct parts, one of which is a, a profound recognition by the community. Yes. If we uh, give, give children a opportunity to become adult, then what does adult mean? And I think one of the reasons why we've degraded our rites of passage is because Maybe I'm out of turn, but the adults are acting like adolescents. It feels like adults are not taking responsibility for the planet, for each other. They're not. A peace experiment obviously has three frames peace with self, peace with other, and peace with the environment. So it feels to me that uh, adults are very much stuck in an adolescent me, 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 now, 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 here, here, here. There's only three things on their minds me now and here and while we're stuck in that frame it's hard for t teenagers or proto-teens to see themselves as maturing if there isn't a standard to mature to um the, i think there's a little abdication of self when you become an adult and that you're no longer out for an individual's benefit but perhaps taking a greater care of the community so i think hand in hand with the work with r ritual which is absolutely necessary in terms of marking a hey you've got some extra bits and pieces now but also with that we actually need to put a pressure on an expectation on people to say actually as an adult these are your contributions and you need to make sure you can move beyond immediate meeting of your own needs and i don't know if it's fair to say but it does feel to me like we've got a very adolescent society in that respect a lot of people about me now and here one of the interests of mine and i'm wondering how this fits in is bringing awareness of death into life and and bringing it and making the uh appreciation or the relationship or somehow even a direct experience not obviously with one's own death but with what does death really mean and how do you live it as yeah. part of the education process is that something that comes up in the peace education world? absolutely malika's work is with the dying I and know. so this is a big part of the world view um we need to help students to appreciate life through understanding what what aspects of death are absolutely death itself they play around with the language of suicide so much more. It is actually trivialized. Now, we're not to hold life as if it's more important than death. Death is a very, very key part about life, and I think it's very important for teenagers to understand, for adults to understand. But actually, you throw a few video games at somebody, you just click on restart, and you do that long enough, and you realize, actually, nah, I'll do this life, and if I stuff up, I'll just start again. I don't know if that trivializes our relationship to the profound. But I also want to celebrate that we are 
seasonal as humans is that we have a growth time and a dead time and then there'll be a regrowth of somebody else and so that uh, realigning with nature is uh, uh, fundamental I think for us to support uh, the kids to the teenagers adults everybody to know that there is a death is just the next thing that's going to happen it's not to be scared of it's to be respected but it isn't a the end as in a dismal or a glamorous or a high celebrity, it's just a full stop. Thank you. Well, what haven't I asked? What would you like to share with our with our listeners that um, we haven't covered? I have a seventeen year old student who wrote a book. Um, this was a while ago now, and she gave a parenting book, not as a parent, but from the teenage perspective. And I think the voice of the adolescent is the voice to share at this point. She wrote the book. The book is called You Shut Up. This is Eva Maria Salikova. You Shut Up is directed at parents saying, just chill. We're going to make it through. Don't worry about us. Yeah, we're going to stuff up, but so did you. And in fact, probably we're going to stuff up less than you did because parents don't always tell their kids what they get up to when they were young. The idea of the book is to also just to say, we're going to get it wrong, but actually we're doing a hell of a lot better than you think we are. Can you just trust us, please? And I think that that message is a really important one, or or trust and safety. And if they get it wrong, it's not the end of the world because uh, adults get it wrong and that's actually okay. So I suppose to think about if, what is the ideal adolescent going to be? If we're so critical of adolescence all of the time, well, what is the ideal adolescent? The ideal adolescent is the one that is stuffing up, is trying out adult relationships, is trying out different ways of managing a human body. And it's the things, it's the experiments. And you can hear that in our title of our school. It doesn't say school in a title, because peace experiment sounds to me like an open-ended whereas peace experiment school sounds like a closed experience and so I want the teenagers to experiment I want them to feel like this is their world and they can do whatever and I suppose giving high faith I trust in this in the teens even at 11 years old but Montessori goes all the way to my youngest child that I've enrolled is six weeks old at a Montessori school gives the students independence and knowledge knowing that they're going to get it wrong or at least different to what I would do if I were there. And I suppose it's useful just to end on that statement where often we run around with a template of the world. There is right and on the other side there is not like me i.e. different to self, and wrong is just therefore that which isn't me. And I think we want to support teenagers to know that they are right, even if they're not me. I'm really just really delighted that you were able to come and all the way from New Zealand, and, and of course you've been traveling and just made the peace experiment just grow and grow and grow. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Great fun. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Meetings with Remarkable Educators is brought to you in part by our friends and supporters on Patreon. If you enjoy our podcast and want access to enriching gifts for parents and educators, please visit patreon.com slash remarkableeducators and consider becoming a patron. Your support means the world to us and will allow us to continue this essential project. 
Our sound engineer is Dimitri Young. Our webmaster is Nathan Young. And our all-important social media maven is Cleo Young. All podcasts are transcribed with show notes and can be found at remarkable-educators.com. This is Ba Lovemore reminding you that holistic relationships with children leads to joy and self-knowledge with the adults in their lives. With respect for you and for children everywhere, see you next time.